Welcome to Below the Line, where we talk about working in Hollywood from the crew perspective. My name is Skid. I'm a former assistant director and your host. Today, we're talking about Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves. The film was released in theaters early this year, and it's currently streaming all over the place. I rewatched it on Paramount+. Plus. My guest is Tyler Cordova, co-visual effects producer. Ty, welcome to Below the Line. Thanks, Skid. Pleasure to be here. Glad to have you, Ty. Now, a warning for listeners, today's conversation will contain spoilers. Ty, before we get there, talk to me about your role as co-visual effects producer and what that entails. Yeah, so visual effects producers are usually freelancers like myself, and we uh, work in the visual effects industry for a long time. So when scripts are given to us in pre-production phase, uh, we can help go through and budget different aspects of the script and what we think this will entail, uh, what kind of shot this will be. You know, this movie, for example, has dragons in it, so we knew we'd have to build CG dragons. But also during the prep phase, we work with the directors and various creatives to figure out what they envision being visual effects and non-visual effects. And Dungeons and Dragons was a unique experience in the sense that there was a lot of practical effects used, actually. Can't escape visual effects overall uh, for a movie like this, but there were a ton of practical effects that were used that was a really unique experience to uh, see and, and be on set with. Yeah, so Ty, explain to me that integration of the practical effects that are being done on set and then the visual effects that you're going to have to layer on top of of that work. Sure. Some of the practical effects in this film, we had a lot of practical sets built. For example, the opening sequence in the prison when Edgen is talking to the council, there is a bird character. His name is Jonathan. He's a, a bird humanoid. Jonathan was a practical suit. He was created by the company Legacy Effects and was really, really cool to see. He was an animatronic character with an actor underneath, of course. And so there's some limits that you have with a practical suit. He was really tall, had giant wings, had a big head that he had to move around. So they built little stilts on the on the back of his feet to give him balance so he can actually move. So while the suit was mostly practical, we had to go in and remove the little rods that helped balance his feet, for example. So there's there's things like that that pop up, though he's mostly practical. You know, there's there's little things we, we need to do to help assist in the magic of what was real there. And then, you know, the sets, of course, mostly real, uh, with exception of a few scenes. But yeah, we, we shot in Belfast, Ireland. So we had the luxury of shooting in a beautiful landscape and really utilizing a lot of the, the scenery in Ireland. And we also went over and shot in Great Britain as well. We were really lucky that we found some incredible sites and locations that we could shoot and really have some some real locations to work with. And I imagine that kind of collaboration really does need to start from the beginning of the film, from the script stage, as you brought up. You need to be a part of the actual filming to know what is going to be required on the back end. Talk to me more about that challenge. During the script breakdown phase, like you mentioned, where we all plan the best that we can and we come up with the ideal situation but when you go into shoot things can change sometimes it's important for us visual effects people to be there on set to help gauge and guide what's what can be accomplished some of the challenges we had for example if you've seen the film in the underdark sequence there's a really funny bit where they're walking along the underdark and zank the paladin who's leading the group sees some 
brain creatures approaching them. They're called intellect devourers, and they're on the horizon approaching. He says, hush, they're coming. They eat intellect, so be still. And then they scour in front of them, and the joke is they, they sniff around, and they don't detect any intelligence, so they pass them by. On set, it was mostly blue screen, but also some uh, some of the Underdark set built that was incredible to see. Uh, but the brain creatures obviously were visual effects. So we had to have these long poles with these orange tennis balls on the end of it. Uh, the set was raised up very high. So we had uh, visual effects workers on the ground with these long telescope poles with tennis balls on the end of it, leading these orange balls through the set. So our actors had an eye line to reference where these brain creatures were going to be um, walking in the space in front of them. So there's always weird, unique challenges like that that pop up uh, depending on the scenes and sequences. You know, for Thumbershot, the dragon, the, the pudgy dragon in the film, he was so big. We had, again, we used a, a telescope pole with an orange ball at the end of it. And we had one of our runners on set running around the edges of the set because the dragon is so big, he moves slower and is in the deep distance. We had Charlie Rock, who was like his name, fake, was one of our rocks. And he <laughs> ran around on on set with the pole and uh, gave an eyeline for our actors. So when they're running away from this giant dragon, we had a guy in the background just with his pole running on, you know, to give them something to look at when they look behind them to see what's chasing them. Yeah, there's a lot of things like that that come up and create these fun and unique challenges to then later in post, obviously, we had the dragons or these brain creatures or whatever. And it gives us a reference and something to go off of. Now, from what you've described, it sounds like the practical effects and the work on the day is probably carrying more water than I might guess. But this is still a massive visual effects movie. I mean, even in the normal scenes, there's just like magic going on or odd characters or things in the background. Can you give me a sense of how this film compared to other films you've worked on? And then an idea of what sort of team it took and timeline to accomplish all this work. This is honestly one of the funnest films I've ever worked on and was challenging in all the right ways where it creatively was very fulfilling, but also a good, unique challenge. We had two visual effects vendors that were our primary vendors on this film, ILM, uh, Industrial Light and Magic, and MPC, Motion Picture Company. Our visual effects team, ourselves, the freelance side that work on behalf of the studio, we are relatively small. We are a crew of eight people plus... Uh, in post, we had a, some visual effects editors. Our side is usually pretty small, but the vendor side, you know, it's hundreds of artists. I'm sure you've, you and everyone have seen these big blockbuster movies. And if you stay all the way through the credits, sometimes there's this block of names, you know, it just full, fills the screen literally with names. So, you know, there are hundreds of artists that work on these movies and, all over the world. MPC was mostly based out of Montreal. They also have offices in India and London, uh, and same ILM was mostly based out of Vancouver, but we also have ILM San Francisco and Australia. It's uh, It takes a, a, t a whole team, really, to do these kinds of movies. How much of this work is taking place during production filming? And then how long do you have after the conclusion of filming? How does that sort of lay out for the visual effects team? Typically, post schedules vary. So it can be anywhere between seven months to a year. Sometimes it's more, sometimes it's less. Depends on the circumstances and the scope of work. Usually in the early days, we work with pre-vis and post-vis, depending on where we are at in the stage of production. 
but our pre-vis and post-vis departments are a separate company that help us get rough shots to tell the story. So when we're in director's cut time, which is usually a 10 week period after we finish filming, the director needs uh, some rough visual effects to help tell a story. So our post-vis department, and since it's in post, they rough in models and unfinished visual effects that's good enough to tell a story so an audience can understand the concept. So usually we rely heavily on pre-vis or post-vis to kind of rough out these shots. And then as the edits and the post schedule gets closer to release date, we turn over more and more shots to our vendors so they uh, look finalized and realistic. Usually if we turn over shots too early, it can just be costly because it's a, it's a big machine to feed. So these pre-vis and post-vis teams are sometimes a small team of you know 10 or less artists that can just kind of help get some rough story points across. As edits get more finalized, then we turn over shots to bigger video effects companies and complete the visual effects work. But it's it's really a big giant puzzle with a big ticking time clock because the longer it takes to solidify an edit, the less time it takes to finish shots, which can sometimes give you rough looking work. It's a, it's a juggling game. You you need to turn over shots and assets early to vendors to get them to start working on dragons or spells or whatever it is. So they understand the the mechanics of how it works. So later when we turn over shots, it's an easier process to put in a dragon into a shot or enhance the, the magic that a, a spellcaster is using because it's already been developed. So with the collaboration you've described, there's so many places where I feel that schedule can go off the rails. How did it work for you on Dungeons and Dragons? The directors, John and Jonathan, um, John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein, they were wonderful to work with, really collaborative. And it made the process a lot easier for me and for the visual effects team in general because they knew what they wanted. I think the dragon chase sequence stayed solidified uh, the entire time. Um, we pre-visited it in prep, and uh, I don't think it changed all throughout prep, shoot, and post. It, it's the same that it was uh, since the very beginning. And you can see that throughout the film, which in, in my opinion, when you work with storytellers or directors that are consistent and know what they want from the beginning, and you know, things change obviously here and there, but for the for the vast majority of it, they were very confident what they wanted. And the product always ends up being better in the end because when sequences and story and things stay relatively solid, it makes it easier in our world and visual effects to to enhance and make it look good. When things are tumultuous and change all the time, that's where it gets sometimes problematic. Our artists do amazing things and can pull out amazing work. But, uh, you know, when, for example, the, the Underdark sequence with the dragon, because that hadn't changed very much at all. It was a dream and an easy thing to start getting a realistic dragon into the shots. And that's it's part of the reason why I think that it looks so good. Well, this film does look great. And we're going to try something new here on Below the Line. Listeners, be patient with us. We're going to play a couple of scenes and let Ty talk through the visual effects. We'll pause every once in a while where there's more detail. Uh, you don't need to jump to it, but if you're interested in playing along, I'll give you some clues on uh, where we're going. So the first scene we're going to talk about is from the graveyard. If you're tracking on the film itself, I think it's around 49 minutes and 30 seconds. We, however, are actually looking at it on a YouTube clip. And if you search for that, find the clip that runs five minutes and 41. And so I'm going to start playing now. One more question, right? Yes. 
No, 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 that, that wasn't for you. Did that count as a question? Yes. So Ty, the first thing I see in here is we've got these zombies, basically. These these corpses brought back to life. Yeah, they are actually practical corpses. They're from the company Legacy. They did amazing work. It was so cool. It's always been a dream of mine to work with, you know, zombies or corpses like this because I, I just doing what i do it's it's so rare to see and work with practical real effects and it was so cool to be on set with these guys they're actually actors in heavy prosthetics and suits i'll pause here with the corpses themselves is there any enhancements that you guys are doing to those scenes as you mentioned before there was some minimal things we had to do uh, if you look really closely there are some holes in the rib cage so you can see through them a bit when we shot this for real, of course, I think that it, they were wearing a blue screen kind of suit for anything that was meant to be a hole that we knew later we'd have to enhance or adjust. But honestly, it's very little. Most of Legacy's work is what you see on screen. It's funny because when we were in the bidding process for this, I said to uh, the visual effects supervisor at the time, I said, I, I think we're going to have to fix a lot of that. I just, I've never seen suits that can hold up like this in front of camera. I'm really hesitant to think that we won't be doing more than what what we're trying to say we can do. And visual effects supervisor, his name is Ben Snow. He said, no, I think it's going to be all right. Let's just see how it goes. And sure enough, on the set, on the day, everyone was like, oh my God, these look great. They're amazing. <laughs> you know, we did have to, I think some of these corpses have lines and um, we had to fix a little bit because you could see part of their jaw or something when they're talking. Minor cleanup, little things, but uh, for the most part, it's it's the suits that Legacy built, which which looked phenomenal, I thought. So they found a corpse that's given him some history, and he's talking about the battle itself. We're going to pick up the video again. As the cultists reached the ridge, we knew we outnumbered them. But our advantage meant nothing against the dragon Raycor. Ty, there's a dragon breathing down on these guys. I mean, what's this kind of battle scene? <laughs> Fire, flame, what's practical, and, and what are you guys just putting together in post? Yeah, so these shots were, were fun to figure out. We didn't have, you know, hundreds of people on set on the day. We did help populate the battlefield with additional soldiers. Ben Snow, our visual effects supervisor, had the uh, the good idea of shooting elements with all the, the soldiers that we had on the set. I think this is our first day of shooting, if I'm not mistaken. Wow. Yeah, Ben went off and shot a bunch of elements of these soldiers fighting in different positions to line these up for these giant sweeping shots. So we did have to populate with more soldiers. And, you know, there's obviously a big flying dragon. His name is Raycor in the shot. And uh, we timed things up with our special effects department. So the, the big fire blast that you see that comes off in the middle of the battlefield, that was a real practical effect that our special effects department did. But of course, the, the dragon spewing acid is all visual effects and something we, we had to figure out and post on what it looks like because we hadn't really seen a dragon spewing acid before. So we had to take a lot of dev to figure out the color and to make sure it looks, you know, not like a typical dragon spewing fire because it's, it's a, one of the cool, unique Dungeons and Dragons legacy creatures that can spew black acid. It took a long time to get that those shots figured out. There were a lot of pieces to put together, but um, I think MPC actually was the company that did these shots and they, they came out great. You know, I remember fighting those dragons when I played the game as a younger man, but yeah. uh, how it would actually to actually capture it on screen. You know, I agree with you. That's quite a challenge. 
We'll be back up when they're talking to the zombie again. That's the last thing I remember. Oh, yeah. Thanks for your help. Let's go look for Standard Grimwald's grave. Hang on, hang on. Hmm? Why don't you go ask him the last three questions? Ask him what? He already told us everything he knows. Well, you can't just leave him like that. Look at the poor bloke. <laughs> oh, fine. <laughs> this is actually What's a very food? funny scene itself. Oh, we got up in the, in the jokes of this. Do you like cats? Not really. Okay. What's two plus two? I'm bad at math. Don't you feel better? No. Oftentimes. Uh, this scene from the very, very early stages of, of uh, prep when, when um, going through the script has always been one of my favorites. It's It was really funny on the page and, and was so excited to see this shoot it and how it was going to come out in the edit and it's, it's probably still one of my favorite sequences. <laughs> It was the morning of the battle. As I stepped out my bath, my foot slipped on the stone. All right, the guy falling and hitting his head and dying. And he the just battle. stunts, or did you guys have to do visuals on that? That was a pretty wide shot. That was a stunt, actually. When he slipped and fell, there was a big piece of foam that hung off on the edge of the bathtub. So we had to paint out the, uh, the piece of foam, but he really did do the stunt. I was wounded and had lost my horse as I escaped. So we're introducing the, the paladin here. I didn't care. I imagine myself. again, this now is just more practical. I, you guys forget to sleep through this part, right? You might even have to be. You, is someone from visual effects will probably still be there in case something comes up. But you tell me, this is more of a traditional type filming, I imagine. It was a Thean who bore the mark of Zas Tam. I waited for the killing blow, but it never came. He had a kind way. He told me his name was Zenk Yenda. He had fled Zastan. Yeah, actually, it's funny. If you look very closely, even with, uh, with a shot like that, we do a little bit of work. Um, anytime you, you see Zenk first appear in the movie, usually, I think anytime you see him appear in the movie, uh, we added a little glow to his eyes because he's part Jane, so... We wanted to um, enhance the, that he's got a little bit of fan in him. So when he first appears, we added a little glow. So that, you know, when you see him in this scene, when you see him at the end, when Forge is uh, trying to escape Neverwinter, he's got a little glow in his eyes to remind the audience he's part Thane. Well, you can all go find this lovely Zank and braid each other's hair. I'll find another one. <laughs> What's his problem? He's got history with the Thans. I know how you're feeling, but we're running out of time. Are we painting in background here, Ty, or is that, uh, do they have, are they using screens, uh, practical tombstones, some of, or a mix? Yeah, it's a mix, actually. The uh, tombstones, for the most part, were real on-set uh, uh, sets. There, we did shoot this on stage, so in the deep background we had blue screen that we later filled in and put a night sky into. Um, and if you look closely, there's some shots with the moon in it, which is a specific moon to the lore of D&D, um, with the Trail of Tears coming off of it. We did add a little bit of uh, visual effects to this, but a lot of it was uh, our, our Ray Chan, our production designer, it's a lot of his set. 
Fifth question, right? Yep. In terms of historical works, I'd say, the fanged tome of Lycanthus Tsar. That was only the fourth question. Hello? Oh, shit. Sorry, guys, we let that run long, but uh, that is a very funny scene. All right, we're going to hop next to a scene we've referenced a couple of times, and that is the Fat Dragon. Yeah, we um, the sequence name we gave it was the Dragon Chase. If you're watching at home, this is about an hour, 12 minutes, and maybe 16 seconds into the film. If you're searching on YouTube, we found a clip called the Fat Red Dragon clip. It runs three minutes and 10 seconds. All right, Ty, this dragon comes out. I've never seen anything like this. Tell me more about how this came together. It took a lot of development to try to figure out what he looks like and what makes him uh, look scary, but also, you know, have some humor to it. Ben Snow, our visual effects supervisor, worked very closely with the directors, John and Jonathan, to see, you know, how does uh, Dembershad, who is our dragon, how does he move? You know, if he's such a a big dragon, not only in scale, but just he's a pudgy guy. What can we do that's unique that hasn't been done before in these kinds of movies? So they came up with the idea of him sliding on his belly like a penguin, you know, chasing after uh, our heroes, but also the Thane assassins that are going after them. And uh, in this shot here, you can see the, the dragons chasing after them in the background. So when we were on set, I mentioned this earlier, our team were running around in the, the back of the set against blue screen with this giant pole with an orange tennis ball on the end of it to give our actors an eye line so they know where to look when they look behind them to see what's chasing after them. I'm going to pause there to let you go a little deeper into that. When it's hopping around, give me a sense of what in this may be practical as far as the running the actors are doing and all the large scale work you're trying. The dragon is eating people and knocking over the architecture. Yeah, this one, it took a lot of planning and, and, uh, like I mentioned earlier, it's it was a sequence that was pre-vised uh, very early on and stayed very consistent. So when we were on set, we shot this in Belfast, Ireland on a stage. And so we had a pretty clear idea of what the shots were going to look like and what we wanted to accomplish. But some of these shots are long running shots. And we had the challenge of you know shooting this on a stage that wasn't even a real soundstage. Uh, so we didn't have enough length for our actors to run and move like they did. So some of these shots are stitches. We shot our actors running along stage and then they pass camera. That would be a cut. So then we'd shoot the second part. We, we'd move down the set and shoot the second part so they could have another uh, length of the set to run down. Yeah, it created definite challenges for us to, to get the shots uh, as envisioned, but um, we did it and we came up with tricks within visual effects and the edit to try to stitch it all together to make it look seamless. Now, when I pause there, the dragon had just slid off stage and has knocked down one of the chains from the bridge. And so I'm going to start back up. Talk to me about this enormous chain coming down on him from a visual effects perspective. Yeah, the chain, funnily enough, is another, uh, it's, it's all CG, of course. It's a big chain. Another uh, special with our orange ball on set where I think it might even be me this time running towards our actors with the uh, the pole and the ball on the end of it uh, to give them an island. So when they're looking back and they're seeing this giant chain almost crush them, they have something to reference and see how close the chain actually got to them. 
Now talk me through this last bridge sequence. By now the assassins are gone, thank goodness. But our heroes are trying to run out and the dragon is still after them. We've got uh, some hopping around. We're gonna get to see the portal wand in a minute. This is just nuts. Ty, there's so much going on here. Because of the nature of this this environment, a lot of this was shot on blue screen. So, you know, heavy visual effect shots. The ground that they're walking on, the platforms, those were practical, but the environment surrounding them and the chains that are lifting up the platforms, and of course the dragon, all visual effects. So we, again, had limited space to work with, so we just had to plan meticulously and utilize previs and techviz, which are shots that you you have before you shoot to um, really get an understanding from a technical standpoint of the length of travel that our actors need to run down or where our dragon is supposed to be on set. Those are the things that you figure out really early on. So when you go on to... Uh, to the stage to shoot, you have an idea of where everything should be in a uh, in a 3D space. Now, what about that little clip there where he's leaping and puts his sword through? That's got to be fully animated. Actually, we did have a, a stuntman jump um, from the platform onto a foam dragon. <laughs> Yeah, so we did actually have elements that we used, uh, you know, stuntmen and women, you know, they, they do a lot of work that we actually keep and utilize. And if it ends up being uh, immensely complicated, then they're always at least invaluable reference for us to use. But for the most part, we use their performances. And in this case, that is a real stuntman jumping on top of a big foam dragon head. Thanks for that. You'd have done the same for me. Yeah. It was a really fun few days on set, especially figuring out the dragon and and how to represent him on set. You know, it was any of these big visual effects sequences are always fun for my department because, like, you know, we we get to be eyeline references on set or whatever it is. So we we have a lot of fun with it. Let's jump ahead to the final fight scene of the movie. By count on the full film, I think it's at an hour fifty three thirty. On YouTube, uh, we're pulling up a clip called The Most Epic Final Battle, Dungeons and Dragons, and it runs five minutes and 23 seconds. Where do you think she's going? Fireballs. You said before that some of that was practical, the work you were doing. Is it true in this scene as well? Anything that's relatively close to camera that goes off, that's an explosion, I, I would say that's a, a good chance that it's special effects, especially in this movie. We did have some fun on set and uh, some good choreographing with special effects to make certain elements go off at a particular time for our actors to really react to, which always makes a big difference. And I'll pause there as the owlbear attacks her. Those kind of scenes, again, a lot of moving around. Yeah, again, heavy previs early on to figure out the choreography of how the owlbear is moving or what the owlbear is doing on set. Previs is always our best friend to help figure out what we're doing in, in a situation like that where our actors have to act with, you know, an imaginary giant six foot owl bear or whatever it is. It took a, a lot of time and, and development to figure out and the choreography of it all. You know, we had a stunt team that that worked with us and with the directors to block these actions out. And then on set, we had uh, stunt performers that were wearing gray suits and they represented the owl bear. So that helped us later in the edit to figure out, oh, this is where the owlbear is in physical space. 
Dragon coming to life. Similar process to the Alvar, actually. We had a real practical stone dragon that was stationary, and then when the dragon comes to life, we of course removed the practical stone dragon out of that scene and then had a stunt performer act like the stone dragon. So we had a, something actually physical and real for Polga to swing her axe against and for Simon to cast magic against. I've got some practical studs here, but then integrating, dragging someone behind the dragon, that's got to come back to your team again. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, we did do a pass with the stunt man you know, being dragged on a kind of a sleigh in a way, uh, which is again, invaluable reference, but because of the nature of the actor having to integrate with the ground and dust kicking up and the, the loot and all those things being dragged, it ended up being a digi-double that we, that we dragged in that scene. The spell casting was a, was a fun one for us to figure out because in post, you know, when you're shooting these, these things on set, it's very easy to say, oh, we're shooting you know, magic missile or whatever the, the spell is. Uh, but in post, we had to try to make all of these different spell combinations look really different and bespoke and interesting. Um, and so what figuring out what that actually looks like. And these uh, arcane hands that we see, uh, there's Simon cast the earthen hand and uh, Safina cast the arcane hand. And it took a, a few rounds of development to figure out how do we make you know, Safina's arcane hand looks scary and kind of zombie-like and, and um, have that motif going for her character of the undead feel. And uh, Simon is always kind of a, uh, a uh, accidental sorcerer in a way where he's, he's not very good and so he only really casts strong spells when he's under pressure. So we try to give that element to all these different spells that he casts to make it sort of uh, natural or, uh, you know, come stemming from um, natural elements uh, and not too fantastical like he's been doing this a super long time. You know not the scope of my powers. Now when all of them are attacking the red wizard at once, honestly, in some ways, this reminds me of other battles I've seen, but what was unique or challenging for this one or what did you try to do different compared to other battles of this type? Yeah, again, it's funny because when you shoot these elements in these battles and there aren't visual effects when you're you know, shooting them on, on the day for real, it always feels a little, I'm sure, and I'm sure the actors feel this way, it feels a little silly because you can't see it. It's all these things that we add later. So again, it was a fun and unique challenge because the directors had a very strong vision of what they saw for what all these effects, how they're happening and what they're doing and what's going on in the scene. And so filling in those holes later was was really fun because you, what does a, you know, a, a shield spell look like that Sufina casts? So when Simon is shooting um, magic out of his fingers, why isn't it hitting Sofina? You know, and that's because, oh, she threw up a shield spell. So tying in all the choreography of it was, was a lot of fun. It's another time stop. Simon, counter it. I can't, it's still too strong. 
Justice Smith, who plays Simon, he liked to keep us on our toes because he's he always had intricate with uh, um, choreography with his hands and for the different spells that he was casting, which um, again made it really fun. He kept us on our on our toes for sure and supposed to try to fill in the holes and the pieces of what he's doing with his hands to cast the spell. But ultimately, it it made it I think it better because the more complicated the the thing that he's doing with his hands, the more intricate it makes the visual effects feel as well. Now when they pretend to be frozen, are you giving them a little help, giving them a little actual visual effects freeze, or were they literally just standing Sorry, still on set? It just smells like old clothes. You know, they uh, did pretty well actually. They really were standing <laughs> still on set. I think there may have been um, a frame or two that we helped them out a little bit, but for the vast majority, I think it's, it's actually them. We had to distract you so Kira could slap on that cuff, and so Dork could do this. And our Albert returns to make, uh, well, not quick become our wizard, but... This was a fun sequence to, to film and figure out. It, again, this is a shot that I think is a lot of people's favorite. It reminds me a bit of the Hulk in the Avengers movie when he's flinging Loki onto the ground. It's pretty humorous. Honestly, didn't think that plan was going to work. You assured us it would. Ty, that was a lot of fun. Thanks for being a sport going through those scenes. Stepping back and talking about the film as a whole, a lot of work goes into this. It's a long time from when you film to when you shoot to when there's a release. But what's your sense again about how all this came together and lessons learned from the entire experience? Yeah, it was so, so much fun. And uh, I'm so grateful to be a part of this project. And honestly, everyone who's seen it, you know, there's a lot of posts online by how much they love this movie. And it really brings a smile to my face to see the fans just fall in love with this film. And I'm, I'm super hopeful we get to do it again. I'm, I, it'd be great to work on a sequel. If John and Jonathan, you're listening, Jeremy Latch, I'm the producer, if you're listening, I'd love to work on this again. Really fun experience all the way around. Now, Ty, I imagine this film is doing great. They've got to be talking about a sequel. Are there any lessons learned from the first film that you would apply to doing it again? We figured out a lot of the design language in post for this movie of how the spells came together or how, you know, our CG creatures uh, interacted with our actors or, or various things. You know, there, there's certainly lessons that everyone can learn from doing a first movie in a series that you can do do better or, or figure out a little quicker, I should say, for the next one. Having the the language down for for some of these spells and just the world building in general, having having an established design and look will really uh, make things go quicker and easier for any future work. Well, fingers crossed that you get to put those lessons to play. I'm also open for a sequel on this. Yeah, me too. Yeah, it was so much fun. Re- really a good time. And thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. On that note, we'll call it a wrap. Listeners, I always appreciate your feedback. You'll find my contact info at our website, blowthelineoneword.biz. That's B-I-Z. You'll also find past episodes and links to all of our social media, so check it out. Ty, you have anything else in the pipeline? Yeah, actually, I'm the visual effects producer on uh, Disney's live-action Lilo and Stitch. So we are uh, in the process of starting post this stage. We're not sure yet. We don't have a release date for it, but um, man, it's been it's been a lot of fun. Uh, just got back from Hawaii not too long ago, so you know there's so many worse places you could be shooting <laughs> than Hawaii. <laughs> it was a wonderful time, and the, the film is just awesome. It's it's going to be so much fun. I can't wait for the world to see uh, what, especially Stitch, is going to look like. We will keep an eye out for that. Closing credits. Thanks to Curtis Five for our music, John Juan for our logo, and all of our listeners. I appreciate you. 
please rate us wherever you get your podcasts and tell your friends. Thanks again from Below the Line.